Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. These are the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. Welcome back to the Pandemic Interviews. I have been MIA over the past few weeks as I took some time to travel overseas and spend time with family. It's the first time in three years. I told myself when I started this podcast, I would post an interview per week. Since January 26th of this year, I have been close to reaching my goal. There have been a few outages, including this most recent, but I am committed to publishing as many of these interviews as I can. It's been a crazy year with so many unexpected twists and turns and intense learning curves. Although sometimes frustrating, I've loved every minute of it and I've learned so much. With another Love the Music project looming on the horizon, an extension of this podcast, I'm about to embark down another path that I'm probably better off not knowing how challenging it's supposed to be. I'll stick with the old adage, you don't know what you don't know. This time, however, I have a team of incredible people working with me. John Jameson of Soundhouse Studio, who is also my co-producer, Cindy Richards Jameson, Lisa McIntosh, and Al Joins. We will be taking some time off over the Christmas holidays, as Soundhouse Studio needs a break, and so do I. Ember Swift will wrap up 2021. We'll be back again in the new year on January 11th. So once again, I'd like to thank everyone who has encouraged, assisted, and supported me through this entire podcast process. Wishing you and your families a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. May all your hopes and dreams be fulfilled in 2022 and beyond. Stay true to yourself. Love and hugs to everyone. Ember Swift is a Canadian singer-songwriter who has been residing in Beijing, China for 13 years. I met Ember a few years ago when she was back in Canada performing at Hughes Room. She started writing songs at the age of nine and has never stopped. She toured Europe, North America, Australia, and of course Asia. Ember is also a writer, voiceover artist, and professional singer for commercial clients. As well as writing for magazines and literary quarterlies, Ember has also written her own memoirs. She's just released her 14th album, Mid-March Meltdown, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the pandemic, but refers to another March years past. Welcome back, Ember. This is our second interview, a catch-up interview, if you will. Thank you. It's nice to be back. And you look great. Bedhead aside, you look fantastic. (laughs) Ember's in Beijing, so she's 12 hours ahead of us. It's 9.30 at night for me and 9.30 in the morning for you. So we're now well over into a year into the pandemic. So by the time, by, by the end of 2019, everybody was already planning the year ahead, anticipating 2020. A year of positivity and great change, everybody was hoping. How were you approaching 2020? What did you expect to be doing? Uh, well, in 2020, I was poised to release my newest album, which is my 13th album, my lucky 13th. And I had three different tours scheduled. I had a spring tour in the the spring of 2020 in Europe. I had some US and Canadian festival dates for the summer. And then I had more spring dates, uh, sorry, more European dates in the fall. So I had three different tours lined up in 2020 that I was anticipating going on. And I imagined that my album would be finished by early 2020. Of course, none of those things happened. <laughs> none of those things happened. So the al- mid-mar- mid-March meltdown, is that your 13th or 14th? It's my 13th. It's your 13th album. Okay. So um, I could say, how have you been keeping yourself busy? But you released, you re- actually released in 2021, mid-March meltdown. So that's, that's, right. that's yeah. what you were doing. I guess, 2020 into 2021. Well, because we actually had some problems with the first producer and we looked around for a second one and we, uh, in fact, there's a little bit of suspicion that maybe the first producer who was ill for quite a long time and had to drop the project may have had COVID before it was identified as COVID. Ah. Um, 
it, it's a very funny, when you look back, you think, hmm, can we put that, those pieces together? In any case, because of a variety of delays, the rest of 2020 was used to really listen and really analyze the project and perfect its arrangement and just do a details management on it. And in the end, we did find a great producer, Tim Abraham, based out of Toronto. And then we worked with him remotely and the album wasn't complete sonically until the end of 2020. And then we released it in March of 2021. So how have you been coping personally through 2020 and 2021 through all of this? I know I asked you the same question before, but we've now advanced another year. Right. Well, so I'm based in China. Of course, this is where the pandemic began. And uh, this is where, uh, you know, systems were established for control early here because of the timeline differences. Um, I'm very grateful very grateful to be here. The systems that they put into place were very strict, very rigid. But because of that, the controls have been airtight. And as of around August of 2020, in my industry, my live music industry, the shows resumed. Singers were finally allowed to get on stage without a mask in August, uh, sorry, in September of 2020. So therefore, from September of last year until now, I've been gigging regularly. And I hate to, I hate to rub that in to my Western friends who have been off stage for so, so long, especially in Australia right now with the fifth hardcore lockdown. But I am very grateful for the way that Chinese authorities have managed this pandemic. Now life is pretty much back to normal here. And in, in fact, I would argue that it's more busy than it was before, mainly because many uh, artists, certainly foreign artists, left during the pandemic, left China, some to escape it, I put in quotes, and unfortunately mm -hmm. they went into a, um, a scarier environment. They should yeah. have stayed here. Um, and then with the border controls as they are, people have not been allowed to come back. So I'm really grateful to be here where the supply demand is in favor right now. I'm doing a lot of gigs. So a lot of artists have left, but a lot of artists obviously like yourself remained. So that kind of opens more opportunity, less competition. That's right. Well, sort of, um, as you know, I'm a foreigner here, so I'm an outsider here. Yeah. And, uh, despite speaking the language, Lonely and having been here for coming up on 13 years, I will always be a foreigner here. So there is, there are advantages and disadvantages to that position. And in the arts, because of my non-Chinese face and my native English um, and the style of music that I bring, which is a representative of my cultural background, there's a, a bit of a cachet to hiring me. Right. Um, that's also why I often don't get the gigs because I'm not Chinese. Right. So it's like a 50 50. Sometimes I get them and sometimes I don't. But in the field of jazz music or um, in events that are seeking more of a Western feel, I will have the edge on um, a Chinese band because I'm a foreign singer and foreign front person to my band. Um, so because many foreigners left, <clears throat> particularly the foreigners left during the pandemic, it, it was just this notion of, oh, it's scary here. Things are getting out of control. I want to go home to where it's safe. And that was the, that was the wrong decision. That was <clears> their <throat> first mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, I even considered it back in February of 2020, but I couldn't afford the flights. They were just through the roof and I couldn't afford three flights. I have two kids. So I thought, okay. I'm here. Hold your breath. Let's hope it goes well. And it was very strict for the first six months. But um, as I said, China's done an amazing job at keeping the virus outside its borders. That's actually really amazing to hear from this end, because 
Nor- well, you've probably heard North America. Now the UK is is reconsidering its its full opening. Canada is different part. Different provinces are doing different things. The US, the new variant is now rearing its ugly head again. So it's been pretty crazy here. So it's nice to hear that you're mm-hmm. gigging, that people are playing, that things are pretty much back to normal. Yeah, the only thing that remains is that they still have a certain kind of... Um, mandate on mask wearing in public places like like subways and train stations etc that's mandated and no one can test it it's just the way it is and many people are still wearing masks out in public or in grocery stores etc but that's their choice it's not mandated any longer and uh there is still they have a health code on smartphones you have to scan and that health code is still relevant in certain places where you have to scan it and prove that you still have a a green health code, which just tells you that you're healthy. And at first, you know, as a foreigner, I I went, oh gosh, they're tracking us through these devices. Without those tracking devices, I couldn't be doing my job. Yeah. So it's catch 22, you know, you want this notion of freedom, but if no one's willing to sign up for the collective controls in a situation like this where collective controls are relevant and necessary then uh then your freedom gets curbed not by the government but by the virus so you know i'd rather have my freedom curbed by the government so that i can do my job yeah it's just in this context in this pandemic context yeah, yeah in this context so what changed for you in the past year in your approach to your craft I was approaching my craft as a recording artist for most of 2020 rather than as a live player. So certainly, as I just mentioned, I got way more detail oriented and focused more on production work in 2020, less on live performance. But now it's come back to more of a balance and I've done some more writing. We're talking about some new songs that we could stand to record sooner than later. And so I've done a lot of thinking about how my career is reflected technologically there's been so much increase in um, online streaming performances this year and i've done very few Um, but because of that increased awareness of how it is we promote our careers on the internet um, i've had to reconsider what i'm doing next what am i doing with these new songs how am i going to increase listenership for these new songs what what's the next plan I'm thinking of doing a bit of a video series, but trying to formulate it now and seeing how much energy and how much desire I actually have for doing that and what, what the, just what the next stage is. So I guess my approach to my career has become more, um, more focused on how to promote it, which, uh, you know, prior to now, I really, I really don't care. I just want to do music, you know? Got to get it out there somehow. You yeah. now you, you're in Beijing. Your producer was here in Toronto. How did you find the virtual collaboration process? It was fine. I worked with uh, a guy named Tim Ride out in Montreal for a couple mm-hmm. of my albums, so okay. I was very familiar with this remote style of uh, of production work. The back and forth, the approvals, the note taking, the you know the uh, the video chats, etc. Uh, but a lot of the production stages were also done here. I work with Gabrielle Baudouin, my guitarist, and right. um, and the person whose apartment I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> Hi, Gab. Hi, Gab. He's over there. <laughs> um, this is his mic. I'm on my laptop. And uh, basically, he is uh, he's become my right-hand guy technologically because um, he was a huge part of the editing and refining project of this of this album so a lot of the production work didn't have to be sent over it was done here and then the cherry on top stuff was done there right so we had a lot more control of it thanks to the collaboration with gabrielle honestly in broken thing in the video is that gabrielle in the video yeah ah. and it was his video he actually did the, the concept was somewhat mutually ours but he did the entire um video editing it's he's never made a video before and he learned final cut and 
Uh, Final it, Cut Pro. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I'm so impressed with his ability to uh, to take, you know, to, to look at the needs he has technologically and say, okay, I need to learn this in order mm -hmm. to do that. And yeah, I, I think the video is phenomenal. He, he learned Final Cut Pro and I learned Studio One. <laughs> so he did yeah, video he and I did audio. So, but it's a great video. I just, I just had to ask. I thought, oh, I wonder if that's him. Yeah, that's him. Good video. Good song. I really like that song. Thank you. Ambiguity was written in response to being a person in love, met with uncertain response to that love. Instead of blaming the other person, therefore tarnishing them in our eyes, why not blame the state of mind itself? So in Ember's words... I wrote the song to admonish ambiguity for even existing, wanting to kick it out while giving it a lyrical lecture in the process. It was a good methodology because the guy is still present, but the ambiguity has long gone. Glad I didn't kick the guy out for initially being ambiguous. Ambiguity, you're no good.
Live performance, what do you think now is the future of live music as we move through 2021 and 2022 now? I know it's going to be a little bit different in Beijing or in China particularly, but outside its borders, how do you see, what do you think the future is? It's, you know, that I keep hearing we've got to keep live alive. I like that tagline. I don't think there's any replacement to a, a live concert. There is something intangible that is exchanged between people in the same time and space. And I will forever be a believer in live performance. I certainly saw a great rush of appreciation from Chinese audiences when venues reopened here in the fall last year. And now, I mean, the response from September until now, my followers here in China have just exploded. People are really, really going out to see live performance, and they're really excited about it in ways that I don't recall pre-pandemic. I wonder if I wasn't sensitive to them or if they have just amplified in their um, you know, energetic appreciation, this, this kind of the way that the fans have responded and have continued to return to shows. I'm not sure. But... Uh, future of live music outside of these borders i cannot comment on i haven't been outside of these borders since november of 2019 i can only hope that when i do finally get back to those european dates that keep being deferred for me i'm very grateful that people will be equally as appreciative in those different places in canada the us etc um for myself no matter what live music will never die yeah I'm old school in this way. I think a lot of us are. So do you find that um, you said that there's a, a lot more people coming out and appreciating your music or live music? Do you think because of the pandemic and because people have been so isolated and not seeing live music, they now there might be more of an appreciation and respect for the artists? Well, I certainly saw that in the fall of last year, an increased appreciation and increased excitement to be in the same time and space as live music was was being created and presented. I definitely see that there's there's more of a, um, I feel like I'm a little bit more under the wing of some of my Chinese fans right now. So prior to this, prior to pandemic, perhaps I was a bit of a novelty, but now I can see that they recognize that I, I'm here, I'm with them here. And they've been very supportive in a different way. Maybe, it, I don't know if it's pandemic related or if it's just perhaps related to my having released a new album and there being a little bit more buzz around what I'm doing career-wise here. Who knows? I, I just have to say that I'm really grateful to be here. Super appreciative my Chinese audience. I sometimes think of it as, as a child who, who really wants dessert so badly but they have to finish their dinner first and the music being the dessert and it's like you're waiting 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 and you you, the sudden appreciation of something that you're missing that you don't have or that you really desire that's kind of what i'm hope i'm hoping for when live music really starts to burst out and people are playing the way you are in in beijing and in china freely and basically unencumbered well, it, it, is a, it is a process. I was speaking with some friends about this recently. In September, they, the shows re-began, but the venues were tentative. Events were not being uh, hosted. People were just uh, worried about uh, large-scale plans. They were worried about being shut down. They were worried that maybe the reopening wasn't a real reopening. So it was at least six months before people began to relax So even though you're poised to reopen and some live shows have resumed in Ontario, for instance, right? Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit. I think it'll be at least six months before people can go, oh, okay. The thing is, is that it took six months for us to really relax and realize that the controls were in place and that we were going to be okay, that the live music could be planned. We could start to book for the following month. It wasn't so spontaneous. But in the West, even though things have started to reopen a little bit, um, the only thing that's going to save the West is, that, is the vaccination rates. 
because otherwise there are no controls in place. It reopens and it's a free for all and then there's a resurgence and it has to close. So that's why I keep saying I'm so, so grateful to be here. You mentioned streaming a little while ago, um, getting back into into social media marketing do you think what do you think about streaming and using it as a marketing or promotional tool i mean everybody was streaming in the beginning out of their living rooms out of their bathrooms out of their bedrooms everywhere and that sort of died off now we have more we've got some of the concert bigger concert promoters at least here now taking on streaming in a much bigger way um renting halls or in theaters etc but as you mentioned more people want the live contact. However, streaming as a marketing tool? Well, probably yes. It's a great marketing tool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't do much of it, mostly because here in China, there are some great big internet firewalls and I couldn't do an OBS concert through YouTube or Facebook. I couldn't do that. Okay. Um, Just the, the internet wouldn't work for me. So live could happen on a Chinese platform, but not on a, on a Western platform. So I kind of gave up, threw my hands in the air and said, I can't make this work. Great. Because I really hate, I hate playing for just a screen. But that being said, I recognize that the only way to really increase your quote unquote brand, which is a term I absolutely hate, <laughs> is to build your followers in on different platforms and to build followers you need content another word i hate and this content must be multifaceted so it's not just streaming of live performance that has to happen these days it has to be a full representation of an artist's life an artist's story um interviews um interview series that artists conduct etc etc so Streaming is here to stay, and it will start to define how a career is built and the breadth of a career. Um, How I will or will not participate in that may end up fossilizing me. I'm not sure. Who knows? I'm in the process of debating what to do next with the album, my new album promotion, which has been out since March, but of course requires... Um, that extra layer to bring it more into into people's ears. So how do you find getting your message out from Beijing to the rest of the world, i.e. your music? Yeah, well, the question is whether or not Beijing is, like being based in Beijing is a hindrance or is it relevant, right? Really, it certainly doesn't help me, but is it a hindrance? Perhaps. I don't know if geography is really relevant anymore, if we're just talking about the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know if uh, being based in Beijing has hurt me uh, when you think about my presence on online. That's a great question. It is the question that I have been spinning in my head for the last six months, really. Like what is required of an artist these days? It's a completely different method to promoting an an album. My last one came out five years ago, but of course my last one was my 12th album. So I have a long history of album releases and the method for sending them out these days is completely different. So it's as though I'm a new artist, to be honest. I'm kind of a new artist that has emerged on the scene with a new record, but based on my algorithmic presence, my numbers, my views, my listens, I'm considered a new artist, which is kind of funny because I have all the experience and the the history of of the industry. So I'm I'm a veteran artist, but I appear to the AI as a new artist. So it's both an opportunity and a frustration because of course I want people to hear these these songs after so many years of building my craft. They're the best I've ever written. But if I don't have a certain number of listens, then it won't be recommended by the AIs to the next level of playlist, et cetera, on Spotify, for instance. And if I don't have a certain number of views on YouTube, it won't go into the queue to be recommended to the next people who, whose 
view, viewing data gets queued when a certain kind of video goes through, you know, all the algorithmic. Yeah. The algorithmic frustrations okay. is what it is. Stranglehold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, stranglehold is yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah, because honestly, like, I, I, I know that's the way it's going. That's the way it is. And we can't do anything about it. Um, I'm just not Mr. Beast. <laughs> I don't have that kind of viewership. I hear you. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, these, here's my little series. I am a guppy in a tsunami of podcasts, as I say. Um, and I just, this was never my intent to begin with. This was just my intent was to just talk with artists to see how they were doing, touch base, write a little bit in my column, play some music and go on to the next. So here I am a year later, now in a studio <laughs> doing this. And it's pretty, it's pretty strange. But again, it, you're right. I mean, it's the same. How many people are going to download? How many people are going to listen? You know, who's who's listening on Spotify? Where is it going? It's just like, you can get overwhelmed with all of that stuff. And all of a sudden, start to lose focus on what your main goal was in the first place. That's what I'm afraid for me. That is very well put, extremely articulate. That is really the point, is how much of a music career now is about managing your online presence and managing your content versus building the art in the first place. Yeah. Because I can have additional content that exists, you know, like live video or handheld, like, look, here I am, kind of video that isn't about my art making. What is my art making? I'm a songwriter. I'm a musician. And I want that to be at a certain caliber. But I will never be a video maker. I will never be a, um, uh, you know, I could develop my skills as a podcast host if I wanted to start a podcast, but that's another skill, right? I don't know, I is it? My, <laughs> it is, for sure. And you've developed it all year. I, I could develop my skills as a, as a, uh, a I don't know, you know, I could start to learn. A painter. Pro. Gabrielle could teach me. Um, as a painter, etc. But what is what am I, what am I really doing? So it it is a very interesting question these days, and I I think there is probably no answer. We can engage to a certain degree, but if our engagement ends up somehow hampering our development in the craft of our choice, then perhaps we've overengaged, and ultimately, it doesn't matter. That's what I've come to. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that I continue to develop this craft that's very important to me. Those who hear it will hopefully enjoy it. And if in order to make people hear it, I have to abandon the craft and build a new craft, which is the art of internet presence, then I refuse to do that. So that's, what, that's where I'm at. Um, we'll see who hears it. We'll see, perhaps it will reach you know, it's mostly about luck. If it reaches the right set of ears, perhaps it would get a wider audience because that set of ears can open that particular door to some particular opportunity. But for me, I cannot abandon one craft in order to develop a new one. In right. order, it's it's contradictory. It if is. I abandon my art, my my songwriting, to develop my internet presence craft, then uh, I'll never develop further and my goal is to continue to write songs and do music for the rest of my life yes so you know that's where it, that's where i'm at well i'll write for the rest of my life and i will photograph podcasting i'm this is still pretty new to me so it's uh we'll see how it goes we've got some other plans in the works for another series i want to do that is not pandemic related and we'll see how i can pull that one off i'm finding that if you don't if you don't overthink it and just do it. You don't know what you don't know, which is sometimes a good thing. You just push ahead with it. So that's, that's the way I'm. Philosophy. Yeah. So that's 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 the way I'm looking at it right now. Um, 2020, and even the beginning of 2021. Do you think it was a career killer for a lot of artists, especially those who weren't that well established to begin with? Absolutely not. I I think that. One's career uh, is, has to be self-defined. And if you are a beginning artist in early 2020, 
Um, there's no need for you to not be a beginning artist in early 2021 as well. There was a pause button that was pressed for sure, but everyone's career is at a different state and it's not linear. So an artist who's just beginning could stumble upon an opportunity that isn't available to me who's been doing music for 25 years. So I, I really don't think that we can see it that way. 2020, the pandemic was certainly a different time and a new experience for live performing artists. And for some, you know, uh, this was devastating. But most people ended up rolling with the punches and trying different things, focusing on recording, um, building their internet presence, as I mentioned, uh, just trying out new approaches to the, the overall, I want to say career, but it's not really that, the overall system. There are all these systems in place for the arts, and people decided to look at it differently during this pandemic. So no, not at all. I don't think it was a career killer. It was probably a career expander for many people. If you regardless took advantage. Of their, their status. Yeah, regardless of their status and their experience level. And even if they didn't take advantage, it was the opportunity to just take a pause, to reassess yeah. craft making from the source, which is a lot of what I did. Besides working on the album, I, I paused. I wasn't very engaged on the internet during the pandemic. Again, in Ember Swift's words, It's Like That was inspired by a Chinese saying that means the same thing, but is often used as a dismissal or a general statement, meaning there's nothing you can do. That's just the way it is. Particularly about depression and duplicity. I find people don't want to talk about these things here, which are as ever-present as anywhere. It's that darkness in humanity that we just accept rather than rail against. The main lyric holds a sort of secret double meaning, I'm falling for, falling for, falling for you, is meant to say that I'm falling for it, as in falling for the manipulation or trick, or being gullible to that darkness, but also simultaneously falling for someone romantically when it's clearly not the smart thing to do. Yeah. 
there will be less procrastination going forward and more action in the future? Sort of seize the moment, be here now? In general? For yeah. people, for well, artists, in general, for, for people, you? but for musicians, for me, well, I'm I just seem to be trundling ahead, but for for artists and musicians in particular, you know, I see a lot of them. Well, you know, I can do that later, or I'll I'll collaborate later, or I'll I'll check you out later, or it's we have a tendency to sort of put things off and delay things. You know, we're great at planning, and then we're also great at postponing. So I'm just mm. wondering if people are going to go. Well, maybe I better not do that anymore. If I want to get in the studio and write that song, let's get let's get on it. Let's not delay it a week or two or three or three months. Let's let's move forward with it. Yes, I would love that to happen. I hope that's going to happen for sure. I've seen more people uh, respond in that super positive, optimistic way. The other side of it is that many people got caught with um, having to deal with family and kids out of school and an inability to focus on their art during this time. Um, and as a single mom, I went through that too in the early stages of the pandemic, how, how difficult it was to have my kids home from school and to be in a p- position where I couldn't actually do what I normally would do when they're at school. And I imagine that there is a subset of the artist population who had to put everything on hold and might still be on hold, but that's not necessarily because they're procrastinators or because they're uh, just delaying out of lack of spirit or energy or inertia. It might just be because they've had to deal with the economic reality that the pandemic has brought them and the family responsibilities. So, yeah, and I, I wouldn't want to disparage them for that. Everybody's had to adjust to what everyone began to call the new normal. And I like to think of art as not being a rush, we can get it done. We'll get it done. Back when I was in my 20s, there was this huge rush among my peers that we're running out of time. You know, we have to do this now because only people can make it big in, in, a certain, in a certain age category. And I heartily reject that. So there is no rush. You can get the song written. The album will get re- recorded eventually. And I mean, my mom's a great example. She's uh, 77 and uh, she is, um, sorry, she'll be 77 this coming year. She's 76 and she's about to release her album, but we started to record it in 2015. It's her very first album. She's a songwriter as well. Um, 2016, we did another session. 2017, we did another session because it's always during the summers when I went back to visit, right? Uh, 2018, I didn't return, but I did some remote stuff for her. 2019, uh, I don't remember what we did, but then 2020 happened and there was a big pause button left on this album. We're finally getting back into the designing of of the album liner notes right now. And my mom's attitude about it is so awesome. She's like, well, it'll get done. It'll get done eventually. And when it's done and I can give it to people, I'll be happy. Just that's it. That's as simple as it is. And I love that attitude. And it's one that I'd like to absorb into my my life 30 years younger than she is and just have that approach. It'll get done. If we believe that it'll get done, it'll get done. And when it's done, we'll be happy. Let's not put too much pressure on ourselves. Just do it right. I'm glad to hear that. It'll get done when it gets done. Exactly. You mentioned that the, the, the last year, oh God, has it been almost 18 months of giving artists a, a chance to pause and reflect, maybe take a different approach to their music. Do you think that artists in general are a little bit more flexible or adaptable on the whole? I keep, and, I, and I've mentioned this in a number of interviews because the first time I heard it was uh, last year, the word pivot. Do you think it's easier for artists to pivot? Is that something that they're accustomed to doing or not? It depends on the artist. I think it depends on the personality. But I think what you're asking is, are artists by nature more able to adapt to change? Yes. And I think that is only true of those who are able to adapt to change in their natures, in their personalities. Because there are several artists that I know who really, really struggled and couldn't 
redefine as um, an online performer, myself included. I, I was not interested in being an online performer during the pandemic, but we are not as much the kind of system people. We are not, we don't come from a corporate background. We are not nine to fivers generally. So we have had to adapt and be uh, more changeable in society than I would say the more conventional lifestyle would have to would would need to be but that being said there are very conservative artists in this community who really cannot approach their art from this technological place for instance so i think it really depends on the person and it also is a choice some people just don't want to they just don't want to redefine based on new parameters like having to perform online which is our standard example here. And that's okay too. I think there's this, this, this expectation that if we can't go around and perform at concerts in people's living rooms or in small cafes or even in concert halls, then um, we have to do it differently. But live performance is live performance. And if there is no live performance, then maybe we just have to wait until there, there's going to be live performance again. And in the meantime, do the other aspects of your career, which are recording or songwriting or just honing your craft, practicing your instrument. And there's nothing wrong with that. So sometimes uh, I, I felt a little bit of pressure as an artist to start some sort of regular online performance series or to be part of online performance series, which technologically I was unable to do being based here in China. And I was kind of grateful that I was unable to do that because I didn't really want to. It's not my thing. I, I did some performing for a screen and as, as much as I'm a performer and I can actually, I can act, I can do it. I can say, hey guys, nice to see you. <laughs> but um, afterwards, I'm, I don't get anything from it. There's no exchange of energy and I don't feel fulfilled by the experience. So mm -hmm. I kind of bailed on that and don't feel bad about it. And it didn't hurt me, ultimately, I don't think. I mean, I don't, I don't register a wound from making that decision. No, I think there was a lot, you know, in the beginning, there were so many people online, you know, it was like, oh my God, perform touring is shut down, live performance is shut down, what am I gonna do? Well, I'm gonna perform in my living room. But there was so much of it, and it was so overwhelming for so many people. It's like you have 10 of my friends are all doing a performance at the same time. How do you pick? And then it was, right. and then the more well-known named artists started doing the same thing. So now I'm, am I going to listen to Neil Young or Joe Schmo? So you ended up with that kind of competition on the end. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, you could sit back and watch all of these sort of silent battles going on. And then Facebook basically shut it down. In the first interview, one of the things that I had been talking to a lot of artists about is the pandemic has basically put everybody in a level playing field. I always thought, I walked into this thinking, well, maybe is this a golden opportunity for local artists to take advantage of this once they were allowed to sort of get out, whether they were playing in a park or on a street corner, um, but to start to build a community around them without the competition and starting for local artists to start at the grassroots again and sort of build without the outside competition, start to build their audiences? Well, I, I'd love to comment on two aspects of what you just said. So first of all, I completely agree with the local. Listen, local, I love that. And every time a young artist has asked me, what do you suggest? I have, you know, I'm based in Toronto and I don't play very often, but I've just been offered a, a couple of shows in Germany. Should I go? I say, no. No, don't, don't drain your pockets to go to Germany. Start local, do small circles, and they get wider and wider, concentric circles around your region, and eventually uh, you're touring your country, and eventually you're touring the U.S., because if you're based in Toronto, you know, the U.S. is close. And, and slowly but surely, once you have developed not just your audience regionally, but your performance chops and your ability to handle the live stage, then flying yourself over to Germany will not be a waste of money because they will not, they're, they're, they might be hiring you thinking you have lots of experience, 
but you'll go there and your lack of experience will disable your your um, being invited a second time, right? You'll actually throw away your opportunity. I've always given that kind of advice and that's what worked for me. So I think it would work even in this day and age with technology as it is. However, the second thing I want to comment on is I don't know if I agree with you. I don't think that there is a level level playing field on all in all areas. Okay. The one way that there definitely is a level playing field is that when everything stopped, it stopped for everyone. Mm -hmm. So there is not this sense of actually I experienced it in a non-level way in the first couple of months of the pandemic here in China because it had not stopped elsewhere anywhere. It had only stopped here. So here I was unable to work, locked inside, realizing that all of my peers in the West um, were working. And I thought, ah, oh, geez, like I can't do this right now. I'm so envious of their lives. But then as a, in a domino effect, in a cascading way, the whole world shut down. And once everyone was shut down collectively, there's where we had a level playing field of not working, collectively not working, therefore not advancing in our careers. Our ambitions had to go, um, had to be set aside briefly as we reassessed. All of that was happening collectively. But that doesn't mean that the all of us as artists were suddenly equal in terms of our experience level, our skill level, our talent level. Good point. Those things are still are still variable. And whereas perhaps some opportunities became open in a more level way, um, what you bring to those opportunities is not level. So there's still the artists who are going to, you know, perform from their living room um, who have decades of experience and those artists who are going to perform from their living room who, who had never barely performed before. And that was going to be evident when the streaming you know, when people consumed the streaming content, they would see, oh, well, I, uh, you know, as much as I can see this artist at the same with, I can choose to watch this artist, or I can choose to watch the artist with decades of experience. I'm going to turn off the artist that doesn't turn me on musically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm still going to probably choose the art that's more polished or that's that's more to my taste. So I really don't agree with that statement in a blanket way, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And you're the first person to answer that in that way. And I think that makes infinite sense because the experience level for uh, all performers is different. And the other side of it is there's a technological side too. So some, some artists who are amazing couldn't work out their their mics and their cameras and their lighting. They just couldn't work it out. They're amazing. You could sort of squint your eyes or, or, or kind of, you know, if you can squint your ears, <laughs> you could sort of say, I still hear that that's a, a quality guitar player and a quality singer, but it's hard to ascertain through the technological crunch or whatever was happening, some sort of feedback or some sort of overdrive that was happening and reducing unfortunately, reducing the presentation of those who have the skill to really pull it off. Yeah. But the flip never happens. The flip never happens. You have amazing sound quality, great lighting, great video work. And if the artist cannot play their instrument or cannot sing or, or really is a beginner, that's never, the technological uh, shoring up of them is never going to help no. their craft come across more professionally. No. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate that that happened to some musicians who are so much better than their lighting and sound quality and video quality <laughs> was presenting for them. That's very yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. But um, in that way, that still didn't level things out. It just brought them down a notch, but it didn't bring the beginners up a notch. Right. Talent is going to be conveyed through any medium. With all of this technological approach to presenting music, Technology can blur the talent if it's not handled correctly. Sound, lights, video. But it can't elevate the talent. It can't accentuate the talent. It'll expose, if it's really well conducted, great right. sound, great lighting, great video, it'll expose the talent 
clearly for the level it's at. But it's the only way that technology um, can level things, is, so to speak, is just by bringing down um, good talent if, it's, if the technology doesn't support it. It just doesn't quite convey the level of talent that really exists. But it's never going to increase the, uh, the underdeveloped talent. Right. I think it was a Freddie Mercury that once said, talent will out, my dears. <laughs> that's what he believed. What's the one piece of advice, if any, you would give a young artist starting out thinking of a career in music? I would, as always, say, be unafraid. Go for it. Do it. Uh, and don't worry about the, um, the immediate results. It's not, it's a long, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long run. And just enjoy the process because so many young artists want to know how to get their song onto a TV show or something very quick, like an immediate, a quick fix. And even I, in my early twenties was looking for more of a quick fix. And I learned as I grew up <laughs> that there is no quick fix, that it is a process. It's a journey. It's a, an experience. And um, it's going to, oh, the other thing I often say to young artists is don't look at it in a linear way. You're not going to constantly increase in terms of your audience, your success rate, even your, uh, even your caliber of writing. Sometimes you're going to have dips. You're going to write a great song and then you're going to write two awful songs and then you're going to write another great song. But the greatness of the next great song is going to be a little bit greater than the previous great song but there will be mountains and valleys throughout your career. And don't get discouraged when you, you're in a valley. Remember, there's gonna be another mountain. This is what I often say to people because it's so easy to get depressed and give up. No, and never give up. That's ridiculous. That's always remain optimistic. What have you found to be the most difficult or the most challenging during the pandemic? It's so interesting the way you ask that question in present perfect tense. Because I'm not, I, I, it's like, I would have to ask it in totally, you know, in past tense directly. Like, what did you find the okay, most? Because right. I have been so grateful for these last six months and I have been so busy and, you know, feeling a little guilty about that. When I look at the state of performance in the West, especially for my, for my peers. Is that like survivor's um, guilt? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I've, I've temp tempered the guilt with gratitude to be here and to be trying to, uh, you know, de-villainize China because still China is constantly being villainized about this. Um, I did find the most difficult part of it was the uncertainty, just not knowing when things would resume and when, when we could approach the, uh, we could approach our careers in a way that was familiar, like pre-booking shows, uh, planning to do things like release an album. I delayed the release and focused on the details of it, but also delayed it because I didn't know when I was going to be able to tour it. So I didn't want to release it too early if I couldn't perform the songs. Um, so the lack of certainty was a real problem. But I gave over to that, I think. It didn't take long before I just said, okay, well, let's just wait. And I stopped stressing about the not knowing. And that was a good decision. And now since, since the resuming, since the live shows have resumed, I feel that there has still been some uncertainty. Like I can't return to Canada anytime soon um, with all of the border controls and paperwork requirements, et cetera. And so I, I have to continually defer some of the bookings that have been in place since 2019. And it's okay, it's okay. It's just the way it's gonna go. Um, I really wanna send strength to those in the West who are still struggling with no longer, not, not having live performance and who, I'm sure have struggled financially 
and psychologically throughout this for as long as it's been in place. Um, I just I have so much compassion for musicians in this state of mind or state of life. Yeah, it hasn't been easy. What's the one song that kept you going when you felt like nothing else could? What's your go-to song? Uh, I don't know. I can't answer that question. I don't have an answer. Okay. I don't have a go-to song. I, I, uh, I don't think that songs are my go-to, funny enough. Like I, I love music and I do listen to other artists, but I've done more listening since I released my album than I did while I was working on my album. I was listening almost exclusively to my own stuff. And then once I released, of course, the album gets included in playlists, et cetera. And I want to see what the playlists sound like. And I think, oh, here's a new artist. And I do have some favorite artists of the past, but again, don't specifically go to a song if I need encouragement or support or if I need, you know, energy. I don't. I think more, I'm more likely, the answer is more likely what keeps me going? What's, what's my real reason for, you know, picking myself up and getting out of bed the next day? It's my kids. It's not my music or it's not anyone else's music. It's like, I need to get up. I need to get, keep myself together. I need to hold it together. You know, kids don't realize that when they're young, they, there's such a demand on your time and your energy. But the one thing they do save you from are the pits of despair, because you realize that you could fall into those pits of despair if no one is requiring you to make them lunch. But if, so, if there's two little people that really need to eat, you have to pull yourself out of that pit. Yep. Because you can't be responsible for the starvation death of these children. Can't. You can't. It's, it's much worse. <laughs> so my kids have really kept me grounded. And that is way, way more likely an answer than any specific song that's kept me grounded. Good. The most important or impactful thing you've learned living through the past year? Well, I think the most important thing that I've been reminded of during this past year is that ultimately we as individuals, even we as art makers, are fairly insignificant. There is a much bigger story at play here, and we are all in the center of it. We are all the humans alive today who have contributed to this world that's um, falling apart ultimately. And somehow we're still surviving. We're, we're in this, like it's in, it's in a bit of a free fall, isn't it? The globe, the earth, and we're all in it right now. And what happens next, no one knows. With all of these crazy climate changes and these severe weather issues. And I, I think it's gonna be a very fascinating next 50 years. So I have kind of stopped taking both my career and myself so seriously. I think we have to be a little bit more collective in how we view things going forward. Two positives to come out of all of this, one personally and one professionally. One positive is an album that I am more proud of than any album I've ever been ever made it's really and good. been part of making. What did you whisper it's there? Re- I said it's really good. Oh, thank you so much. Really, I am super grateful for the time that the pandemic gave us to make this album as great as it is. And, and to further my working and personal relationship with Gabrielle Baudouin, who's still lying over there listening to everything. Um, the time given to, to that, just the time. I'm grateful for the time rather than the time lost, the time gained. That's a positive thing, I think that, you know, it's just reformulated, shifted my perspectives on a lot of things. And that's really thanks to the time. So I guess that's both personal and professional, that one. What brings you joy now? Uh, Well, for sure, playing live, playing music. I'm so, as I, I keep saying, I'm so grateful. Like in May, I had 20 shows all in Beijing, events and small bars and, and larger spaces. And, and from there, it's been over 10 performances every month since. Um, the, 
the joy of being on stage and playing that was reinforced with nine months of a break from it because of the pandemic so after that nine months i am aware that when i am performing playing live there's so much joy and of course what brings me joy is my kids seeing them grow up if there was one artist or band that you could perform with or share a stage with who would that be well we have shared our love for Joni Mitchell and she's been my muse for many years and um, I don't listen to her music as often as I used to but I certainly feel a, a grounding a sense of calm whenever I put any of her songs on mm. I know she just released a remastered of some of her old songs um, I would obviously love the opportunity to even have a conversation with Joni in a living room, let alone share a stage. I did meet her in 2001. Um, so it, it's not that I haven't ever been in the same room as her, but I, uh, I find her music and approach to art and approach to life uh, all very inspiring. That's all. That's, That's all, all she wrote. That's it. Thank you so much. Thanks for wanting to do a revisit. Thank you. So have a wonderful day. And thank you again for your time, Ember. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Bye, Pat. Bye-bye. This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio, located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer-engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. He makes us all sound good, and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at Soundhouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.